Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have on the call today Tom Ziegler, who is the CEO of Ziegler, Inc., and you may know him from the name Ziegler, and of course, his father is Zig Ziegler, uh, one of the, I think, I don't know if he's the most famous, definitely one of the most influential kind of motivational speakers and business leaders, business thought leaders, as far as I can tell, for a very long time, and definitely one of the influencing factors in me getting started and doing what I do today. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about how Tom has taken over the corporation, what they're doing to, to grow Ziegler, Inc., some of what they do with coaching for small businesses and how they help systematize businesses. And we'll also be talking about their certification program. So Tom, thank you so much for being in the trenches with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really uh, am honored and appreciate the opportunity. So I'm sure you get it a lot, but what was it like growing up with Zig Ziglar? It's kind of, I think, the only appropriate place to start before we dig into everything else. (laughs) Well, I tell you, extremely, extremely blessed. Of course, I have no other experience, so I can't compare it to a different one. Uh, but I will say that as good as dad was on stage or in the public eye, he was even better at home. One of my good friends said, he said, Tom, your your dad really walks his talk and he's a good talker. And I think that was true. So whatever he said on stage, it was a multiple of that one-on-one and at home. So it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I would imagine that it must be motivating to some degree to be alongside and be kind of, you know, somebody that you know him obviously very intimately, like different than anybody else could possibly know him, which is really, I think, just a fascinating perspective on it. And as far as like growing up in that kind of um, environment, what led you to kind of taking over Ziegler Inc. and kind of taking the reins? I mean, there's probably a lot of things you could do and you chose to do that. What, what inspired that? Well, a couple of things. First off, I wish I could say it was intentional. This was the grand plan, but that wasn't the way it was when I was in college. Uh, I played college golf, and I had a dream to be a professional golfer. And so I started traveling after I graduated, and I got married, and and I needed uh, a job to support my golf habit. Uh, So I started working in the company warehouse. And after a few years, it became really clear that just like they say in the commercials, those guys on the PGA Tour are really, really good. About the same time I was coming to that realization, I hurt my back, and I moved into sales at the company. And I really enjoyed the sales. And so it was just kind of a natural transition. I've never looked back on golf and and said, golly, I wish I'd pursued it longer. Uh, I gave it 100% while I was there. Uh, But I really fell in love with with sales and being on the phone and talking to people and being face-to-face with prospects and clients. And then that just led one thing to another. I got into the promotion side of our business, putting on events, and then I just kind of moved up the ladder. And I think at the heart of it, and you know this because of the business that you do, there is no greater joy or satisfaction in life than when you can help someone else be, do, or have more than they thought possible. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. fuel that just really uh, burned in dad's engine. And when 
we were able and when I was personally able to help other people who were struggling, whether it was in their business or their personal life or family or whatever it was, when I when when you're able to basically help them see a new way of doing it and they put it in play in play and they go to a place they've never been before, there's just something about that 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 you never want to stop. So that's kind of what got me engaged. It, it really changed my view of what life and business was all about. And I've been in it ever since. Do you think like some of those sales chops come from, you know, being surrounded by that all the time? Like somebody who's like, you know, kind of the quintessential salesperson in a lot of ways, like, and I mean that in a very positive way. So I'm just curious, like, was that because it rubbed off or was it because of, again, kind of what you've just kind of been naturally inclined to find enjoyment in, in terms of like sales and marketing and that kind of thing? Well, let me tell you about my first sale. Sure. Yeah, that's great. So I, I'd moved from the warehouse into our production facility. We did cassette duplication, video, VHS back in the old days. Uh, some people listening to this will probably remember what a cassette tape was. If you're, Some people never know, right? Right. So I move into uh, sales and we do a week's long sales training. So they're training me on all of our products, our books, our audio programs, everything that we offer, some of our small business kind of training programs and and then it's my first day on the phone. So the first day on the phone, I get a call and the call goes like this. I'm kind of scared and nervous like anybody on your first day, my first live customer. And this guy I thought was ancient, you know, he was probably 55 or 60 years old, which now seems pretty young, but being 23 or 24, that seemed old to me. Uh, and he said, hey, I need some help. Uh, he knew my name because I'd introduced myself and he said, Tom, my daughter and son-in-law are going through a really hard time. They are uh, been married for a number of years. They got three small kids. He's a dentist. He just opened up his own dental practice. They're covered up in debt from buying this practice and, and student you know, debt from dental school. What type of programs do you have that would help them in their marriage and their personal life? And so I started to tell him about one of the programs and about 10 seconds into it, he said, Tom, don't worry about it. Here's my American Express card. Why don't you send them anything you think they'll need? Is it okay if we pray? Well, when your first sale is a guy who gives you a credit card and says, whatever you think they need, send it. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. Right. But it is definitely an ethical challenge at right. that point, right? And then I got overwhelmed because I was in this moral dilemma of, boy, I better send them what I 100% believe they need and nothing more and nothing less, right? Because there's a huge responsibility. And then I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I realized, wait a second, I had nothing to do with this sale. This sale was purely based on my father's reputation. And so when you're in sales, the first thing that you've got to understand is, it's your reputation that you're really selling. I mean, it's it's the trust factor. It's everything about what you stand for in your word. So this guy came into this with trust. So years later, I mean, not even like this happened like five years ago. Seth Godin was in our office and we were doing a video. And of course, he is the man when it comes to marketing. And I was interviewing him for a webcast that we were doing. And, and so I'd done a little bit of homework. He and I are we correspond regularly. I was emailing him today about some stuff, but he said, and, and I found this clip on him and he said, you know, we don't live in the computer age 
or the information age, we live in the connection age. Today, business, especially online business, it's all about connection. And he said the number one commodity in the connection age is trust. And so when he came to the office, I said, Seth, what does that mean? And he said, uh, well, what that means is, is that I don't worry about profit. I don't worry about revenue. The only thing I worry about is the scalability of trust. In other words, with every interaction that I have, what I want to do is create trust in the heart and in the mind of the customer. And I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. That's exactly what we believe. And then I realized that Seth will tell you this too, that the reason that he has had the, he says the reason he's had the career that he's had is because when he was starting his own business, when he first got out, he listened to uh, How to Stay Motivated and Secrets of Closing the Sale so many times that he wore out the tape and had to replace them. Every day, hours a day, while he was going through the fire, he was filling his mind with this philosophy, this attitude, this way to do it. And what's interesting is that in the book, Secrets of Closing the Sale, which is, it's also on the, on the audio series, it says in there that there's five reasons that people don't buy. So this is dad's premier sales book. And he wrote in there, there are five reasons that people don't buy. No need, no money, no want, no hurry, and no trust. And the biggest of these is trust. And so if you're a student of Seth, like I am, the theme always and every piece is building trust. And it's so simple because here's the deal. If you build trust in your audience and your prospects and your client base, then when you finally present something they need, they'll get it because they already trust you. And that's the biggest hurdle. This is okay. So this is a challenging question because that idea, I think most people would listen to and say, yeah, that makes sense. I like that also as like an ethos or an aspiration of what I should optimize for, so to speak, in my business. But the question would be, I guess, how do I do that? How do we optimize for trust or how do we build trust? And obviously that goes, it's very, very broad, but I'm wondering if there's like certain like do's or don'ts specifically around that idea in in marketing and sales. Well, in sales, uh, it's real simple. You you under promise and you over deliver. You know, you keep your word. You you find out specifically as much as you can what their needs are, and you bring them the best solution. And you don't let them find out by accident that something didn't happen like it was supposed to. You let them know in advance. In other words, whatever you tell them, they can count on. And whether the news is good, bad, or in the middle, uh, they're always hearing it from you, and you're the one they look to for the solution so that they know. So you're building this relationship. And in today's noisy, noisy world on the Internet, you know, we, we have a choice. We either make more noise and like Seth talked about in permission marketing, we either interrupt them and overwhelm them and make big promises and massive claims that can never be backed up, which erodes trust. Or you decide to be exceptional. I read or I heard a lady speak. I can't ever, I can't remember her name, but you probably know the quote. And she said, uh, different is better than better. Mm. And I can't out Amazon, Amazon. I can't out Walmart, Walmart. And in fact, in the retail world, the, the companies that are trying to compete on price or speed of delivery, now they're getting killed. So how do you compete on that? Well, you're different, right? You've got an experience they can't compete with. 
Uh, you've got a value proposition that's unique. You've got added features to it in your own background that when you put all those together, nobody else can compete in your space. If you say, man, I'm going to be the greatest uh, marketer in the world, I mean, that's a huge pie. But if you say, I'm going to specialize in a certain area based on all these years of experience and the contacts that I have and the resources I can bring to the table, and the niche is so specific, man, you can kill it. You can win. So whatever your niche is. So you build trust by being different and backing it up. I like that. When it comes to this idea of like specialization, actually, we had talked a little bit offline about how you guys do coaching and you help systematize businesses. Is that an area that you typically come in and work with businesses on, like uh, either a local or online level in terms of like niching or, or, or getting very specialized? Or do you typically walk into a company that's already kind of doing that? What we do is through our partnership with Howard Partridge, who's our exclusive small business coach, and he's coached thousands and thousands of business owners over the last 20 years. Uh, but he is a big uh, fan and student of, and we've actually had uh, Michael Gerber speak at our conferences. And so most people in our space, they under, they've read the E-Myth or the E-Myth Revisited. And so the idea is, how do we systemize a business? Uh, how do we make it turnkey? In a business, we talk about there are five areas in a business that every every business has. There's marketing, which is how you bring prospects to your business. There's sales, which is how you convert those prospects to customers. There's operations, which is how you serve and support the customers that you bring in. There's administration, which is you know the systems, the processes, the, the accounting, all the things that make your business run smooth. And then there's leadership. And leadership is that owner, you know, the person in the mirror. That's you if you're the business owner. And so what you want to do is you want to systemize each of those five areas as an owner. Uh, one of our uh, members in our program, this is kind of cool. He, he has a house at, out in Pensacola and he lives across the street from a billionaire and he became friends with this billionaire. And the deal was that he would pick up the billionaire's mail because he only goes to this beach house like six weeks out of the year. And uh, in return, they would have coffee whenever he was in town. And so he asked the billionaire, he says, hey, you buy businesses that are struggling and then you turn them around and, and you know, what's the secret? Here's what the guy said. He said, the secret is you systemize your business and make it turnkey so you can sell it because nobody wants to buy a job. But then you don't sell it because why would you sell a turnkey business? Right. Right. And so turnkey means that not only do you have systems in place that are automated and, and you have reports and you can see what's going on, but you've also developed leaders in that business who know how to run those systems. And so that's what we do is we help small business owners first systemize their business. And then second, we show them how to develop leaders within that business to start running those systems. And most of our business is, is uh, brick and mortar and online. Uh, we do some, some that are primarily online, but you know, you, you know better than I do that online marketing and, and uh, in that world is so fast and so aggressive that, well, you got you to be on your game in there to make that happen. So we do a little bit of that, 
but mainly it's it's companies that have you know five to twenty five employees. They've never been systemized, and they've got brick and mortar and online, and they're trying to figure it all out so they can grow. And the owner is freaking out because they've done everything they can do and they've capped. So the only way to win then is to systemize and develop your people. And that's what we come in and help them do. And we do it through coaching them to do it. We don't do it for them. We coach them on how to do it. That's interesting. And what's what's the range of businesses? Can you guys essentially come into any business? I guess that would mean that there are definitely fundamentals across the board. But where do you say kind of this is in our wheelhouse and these aren't? Yeah, we've done an over, I think we counted up like 120 different SIC codes. So all types of businesses, pretty much every service company you can think of, whether it's HVAC or plumbing or gyms or professional, you know, we've got doctors and chiropractors and and, uh, candy companies. I mean, it just goes across the board that we can help with. So if you, if you have employees And if you're trying to grow and you don't have systems in place, you're probably a fit for us. Larger companies, uh, say 100 employees and up, most of them, they've gotten there because they systemized. (laughs) And so we can do consulting with them, but that's really not our sweet spot. Sure. That makes sense. And how many coaches do you have that fall under the organization that you have to, that go out and kind of coach these businesses? I'm kind of interested in the scale here. Yeah. Well, we have a we have a system. We do a power of discovery pod. So we will have 10 to 12 business owners on a pod, which is a group call. And so we have one coach that can do that. And so that's a weekly call. So that means that one coach can do three or four of those a day. And so they might be coaching 75 to 100 people in a week in this group call. And then we do one-on-ones with our people about once a quarter. And then we have other programs as well. So it's very, very scalable. The systems are all online. They're there for any, any member can come in. You get instant access to all the systems. And so the coaching is really around implementation. And this is what we talk about. The number one reason that business owners don't do as well as they should or as well as they could is we call it FTI, which simply means failure to implement. And so everybody listening, I know you know what you should do, but have you implemented? Mm-hmm. That's what a coach does. Whether you uh, get a coach from us or, or somebody else, or, or that is the best investment you can make. Because when you make an investment with somebody who's going to hold you accountable to implementing, that's when change happens. And, and I guess from your organization standpoint, that's I'm kind of curious, like how do you, because this is like, I don't know if anybody wants to go there and build, you know, some kind of organization around coaching. But I would, I think that, you know, what a challenge because it's knowledge, it's obviously the ability to hold somebody accountable and, and make sure they get results. And then there's all these different layers of what makes a good coach. And then, of course, you're facilitating that process across the board in a, you know, scalable way. And I just find that that seems like a very challenging endeavor. And so I'm curious, like how you manage that on day-to-day operations to know, hey, like, yeah, we're, we're growing the right way. Like these coaches are doing what they got to be doing. Like how, because obviously you can't micromanage it. So I'm just like, I know that's a broad question, but it seems like quite the challenge. I'm curious how you approach that. Yeah. Well, it's all questions based. I mean, you know, and there's a, there's a system for that. And I'll just give you an example. If, if somebody was, if I was with somebody and like, hey, tell me about your business coaching. 
and we'd already had the discussion we had, you know, one of the questions I would ask, well, let me ask you this is, is your biggest challenge that you need more revenue or is your biggest challenge that you've got revenue, but you got leaks everywhere, right? You're just running around. You can't handle it. Well, that tells us pretty quickly where to, where to look because most businesses, small businesses, especially, uh, they don't have a lot of money to burn through. In other words, we got to put something in place that's going to get them results in the short term. So they might say, well, you know, we need more revenue. And then we'll be really quick to say, well, we have a saying, profitable revenue cures all ills. Mm-hmm. I didn't say revenue. Mm-hmm. I said profitable revenue. And so we have a ton of experience in all different businesses. So we know kind of going in based on our experience, what profitable revenue should look like, you know, what they should be charging, what their margins should be looking like and all that. So that comes from experience. But let's face it, there's only three ways to generate more revenue. Raise your prices. That'll generate more revenue. Sell something different to your existing client, right? The third way to generate more revenue. Gain more clients, right? You either add a new customer in, you sell your existing customer more, you raise your prices, or you do all three. That's really how you get more revenue. Yeah. The cool thing is, is you can tweak each one of those just a little bit, and it totally changes the bottom line of your business. One of the questions that we ask is, if you raised your prices 10% and then your sales volume went down 10%, I mean, your number of customers went down, right? So you made 10% fewer sales, but you sold it for 10% more. Would you make the same or more or less? Yeah. So I'm not a math whiz, but I would think more uh, simply because the, the cost of service and servicing goes down because you have exactly. less customers. You're going to make more. And here's the beauty of this equation. I've noticed that my price sensitive customers are also my biggest headache. Very true. They're the ones who have the most issues, right? Yep. And so if it's been a while since you've had a price increase, you might want to see what happens if you have a price increase. That will improve the bottom line. And once again, remember, we talked about different is better than better. And so if you are competing on price, this strategy is probably not going to work for you because you've already devalued in your approach what you do. But if you're promoting and marketing that you have superior experience, you've got an educational background that supports it, you've got you know dozens of testimonials, you've been in business for 30 years, right? So you bring all this value, value, value. When you raise your price, your best customers are they don't care mm-hmm. because you always stand behind what you do. And the ones who are giving you the headache who are price sensitive, well, you've just gifted that headache to your competition, which is an awesome thing. Hmm. Really like that perspective on it. Beneficial in multiple ways. But I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm a big, big proponent of that. Raise your prices. I mean, it, it's not the worst thing you could do. Um, assuming that you already have customers and, and everything else considered. I mean, that's a great, very, it's a very simple thing you can roll out to, my opinion. Yeah. So, okay, here, here's a question for you. You typically come into a business that's been operating maybe for X number, I would assume probably minimum like a year, maybe maybe a few, I don't know, maybe months. So correct me if I'm wrong on that, but if the typical or average business that you come in and help kind of grow, it's maybe been around for however long they are doing some amount of revenue. So they have, they've gotten through that kind of early zero to X revenue per year. So you guys typically kind of scale from that, you know, X to Y, whatever that might be. What's kind of that 
I guess, zone of expertise for, for you and your organization and, and the coaches that you guys provide? Yeah, our, you know, you always have to have your target audience and mm-hmm. who your best customer is. So an ideal customer has been in business ideally three years, two to three years, and they have a paid employee who's not a family member, right? So they've grown a little yeah. bit. They've had to get outside uh, expertise. So they know what, you know, and they've hit a wall. Yeah. And they're ready. People in that in that launch stage, I mean, there are great organizations that work with companies, the small business owners mm-hmm. that launch. They, they have a different need set. So we're really looking for somebody uh, who's been in business that long and they've they've kind of hit a wall and they know what it's like to pay employees and, you know, to go through that that trauma. So, or, you know, the trials of that. So that's who our target is. Uh, and then we want to know what their goals are. You know, w- what's your goal? Is it to get profitable? Is it to expand to a new location? And interestingly, I mean, the two things that people always come to us and say, this is what we need help in. They want to make more money, which is obvious. But what they really want is they want their life back. <laughs> you know, they're working 70, 80 hours a week. Mm. And they want their life back. And that's what systems allow you to do. You made a stipulation there that it would have to be employees that are not family members. Is that because, I mean, what's the reason for that? And is that something common? Like that typically, you know, these businesses, when they start out, they are like family owned operated type companies. We love working with family businesses. Uh, we have a ton of them, but we, we like it if they've just grown to the point where at least one of their employees is not family. So, I mean, so, so yeah. somebody says, yeah, I started my business and, uh, my son-in-law works for me 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. That tells us that business is still in that, you know, they're they're not mature enough yet or it might be difficult. Every now and then it's weird, you know. Every now and then you'll get a, you know, a sole proprietor who's doing a lot of a lot of volume and they've always thought, you know, I just want to do this by myself and then they wake up one day and they go, "Wow, this could be pretty cool." And then they have the resources to get help, right? Cuz they don't want to they don't they don't want to spend the their education and mistakes, they would rather spend the money in doing it right the first time. That's an ideal client. But where it gets tough is a side business kind of starts to grow and then they get a part-timer, but they don't have enough uh, track record to really see the value of a coach. They're like, whoa, that's 10% of my revenue you're asking for. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's fantastic. So I know we're coming up to the top of our time together. For those who are, you know, at that point where they are coming against the wall, um, I mean, I guess, you know, get a coach. Well, there you go. Number one. But number two, I guess, would be what would be your advice for somebody who's maybe stagnated in revenue and sales? Because I know that can be one of the most challenging things. And I'm sure you, you see that a lot. People get to a certain level and then they kind of plateau or they just that growth kind of has gone away. Um, are there any particular, you know, pieces of advice that you might give kind of more generally or specifically uh, to somebody in that particular kind of um, situation? I always ask, why are you doing it? Mm. What's your why? Howard Partridge, who he has a quote, he says, your business exists for one reason and one reason only as a vehicle to help you achieve your life goals. And so another word for why is what's your life goal? And by the way, if you're an employee or you work for the government or you're a teacher, it doesn't matter. The reason you do what you do every day is it's given you the vehicle to achieve your life goal. My number one presentation today and what I do when I go out and speak, it's on legacy. Mm. 
if I, it doesn't matter whether I got 10 people in the room or 3,000 people in the room, if I ask the question, how many of you want to leave a legacy? 100% of the hands go up. If you've hit the wall, if your business is stagnant, that's another way to look at it. What's the legacy you want to leave? And how can you be intentional in creating and building that legacy? Well, if you've got a huge legacy, and we all do because we got family and people we love that we want to impact. Legacy is a transference of habit. Legacy Mm. is teaching and transferring the character, the principles, the values, and the wisdom so that the people you transfer it to, which is your blood, your family, but it's also the friends that you do life with and you adopt into your family. So I don't limit legacy to just those who happen to be sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and mom and dads. I, I make it bigger than that. But what we want to do is transfer the wisdom so that our family, those we love, those we've adopted, can make the decisions that will ripple through eternity. And that's legacy. You know, I talk to people every day and they're like, I'm not sure if what I'm doing is the right thing. And the what question is important, but it's not near as important as the why question and the how question. And here's what I mean. If your why is crystal clear and it's drawn you to it like a magnet, then the how gets totally changed. I mean, I've gone to restaurants and been served by people who know their why, and the service is unbelievable. It's an experience that, you you know, it's, you just can't, it doesn't matter what you do. If your why is clear, how you do what you do changes. And so in most cases, it's not the what that's the problem. It's the why you're doing it. Because if you don't know why, the how is just average. And I, I'll ask this one following because I think that's so insightful when we ask that question, why? And how, how it will actually affect the how, like the implementation piece and the execution piece and the achievement of that why. Is that in particular like something along the lines of as maybe one example? Like if one of the whys is, well, I want to provide for my family or something like that. And maybe that is a common why. Or be around your family more often. Then that might dictate how you kind of establish the business and start to grow it or, or the types of things you implement. Because then you probably don't want to be at the office, you know, 16 hours a day or something like that. Is that kind of what you're getting at in terms of like, a practical application of this? Yep, absolutely. I'll give you an example of a uh, of a why that totally changed the business. Uh, I was talking to a friend whose father is a dentist, and he has the largest dental practice in Holland, so just outside of Amsterdam. So he, when he was younger, this man went to his accountant, the dentist, and he said, here's the deal. Anytime my kids are out of school, I want to be at home with them. I don't want to be in the practice. I want to be at home with them. So his why was he wanted to do life with his kids. He didn't want to be trapped in the office. So he changed his schedule to match that. And then he realized that he had to invent a new kind of practice to attract people that would allow that lifestyle to happen. So this guy puts a coffee bar in his reception room and when the patients would come in in waves, he would go out and have coffee with them before he would start working on them. So he'd visit with, you know, four or five of them at a time. And when somebody would look at their watch, like, hey, aren't we going to get busy here? He would look at them and say, no, this is a community. If you're time sensitive, this isn't the right place for you. So immediately he's building a sense of community. Well, in Holland, and they do it here in the States too, if you miss an appointment without canceling, there was common practice to charge the patient a $150 no-show fee. What they did instead in his practice is they would call the patient up and they would go, 
you know, you missed the appointment yesterday. We want to reschedule you, but here's what you owe us. You owe us your family's best recipe. You need to photocopy it and bring it in. When you walk into his coffee bar, there's this huge book of all these incredible recipes. You know, they've paid the toll Mm. for not showing up. The second time they miss it, the appointment without canceling, they have to bring in the recipe already cooked on a Friday. Now people in his practice, they just bring food on Friday because they want to hang out with people who are the same way. His accountant looked at it and his numbers were going through the roof and he looks at his uh, accountant. He says, how can this be? I'm working 30% less and I'm making 30% more. And the accountant said, oh, it's easy. When you work a 12-hour day, you're floating. You're 100% engaged. You don't have to worry about marketing. You got referrals coming out from all directions because you're different. So when you attach the why you're in practice, it, it, it gave him the flexibility to be with his family when his kids were growing up. It changes how you do it. Mm, I love it. And so when you change how you do it, you're a magnet for the people who like how you do it. You don't have to be a magnet. You know, uh, there's a thing, I think Seth wrote about this. There's a thing called MVP, which is minimum. Uh, Viable product. Right. And he came up with a new statement called MVC, minimum viable customer. Mm, mm-hmm. And his idea is, what is the fewest number of customers that you could have to have a profitable and successful business? And what's their profile and how do you wow them? That's a really good, really good question. The thing that he said, which is, which is scalable, which is weird, but is scalable, is once you figure that out, you'll attract more of them. I love that. <laughs> it is one of those things. It's funny how much of it comes down to just asking the right questions. And I know yeah. uh, your father was like a master at that. And I know you are too. And, and what you guys do at, at Ziggler Inc. So I want to go ahead and, and wrap things up here and give you the floor. Where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, or just connect with Ziggler Inc. and uh, maybe look into help with their business? Well, there's two ways to do it. You can just come to Ziggler.com and see all of our stuff. But let me give my email address, tziggler at Ziggler.com. I mean, how complicated is that? Even I can figure it out. Yeah, just pop me an email and say, hey, I'm interested in this. We do uh, events all the time for business owners and also our certification. So if you like, would love to share the Ziegler philosophy and, and, and be equipped to go do that. We have now over 200 trainers around the world in 17 different countries. And that's what they do as uh, they share what we bring. And the reason we, my, my personal mission, we're always, you know, we've got the corporate mission and everything. And golly, the way the world changes, I've just boiled it down to this. My, my purpose or my mission is to equip you to change the world and leave a legacy. And so, man, we've got life-changing materials that not only will change you, but when you share them with other people, that's when your world really changes. That's when significance happens. Significance is when you help someone else be, do, or have more than they thought possible. Mm. And that's the business that we're in, is we equip people to help others be, do, or have more than they thought possible. And business owners are my favorite to work with because you've got a built-in audience on your team, that you can give them insight and ideas on how to be more effective in their business. But when you start giving them tools on how to have better relationships at home and how to achieve their personal goals and loyalty, it totally changes. 
when you let them know you care about what their dream is and you're going to help them get their dream and you get excited about their dream, then your team, <laughs> everything changes. They will work for a dream a lot harder than they will a paycheck. Great reminder. Well, Tom, I do appreciate your time so much. It was great having you on in the trenches. And I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for all the wisdom you've shared. I want to encourage people to go check it out. Check out what Tom was talking about, Ziggler.com, great place to reach him. So Tom, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.